needing to use the bathroom while you're preaching. And even though you won't believe this, I have cut a few sermons short. <laughs> I know some of you don't believe that. Every once in a while, you know, I just, that's it, no more. <laughs> All right. All right, you got your Bibles today? Take your copy of God's Word and turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 12. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and I'm hoping that you'll turn with me. And we're going to look in verse 18 and following, and we'll be there in just a second. Today is Palm Sunday. Isn't that great? Great time of the year, isn't it? One more week and we'll be at Easter, and won't that be wonderful? Now, I hope you'll make your plans Friday night, 630 Good Friday night, we're going to have communion right here, and the building will be nice, and it'll be pretty in here, and we're going to have about an hour, that's about what it takes, so you can kind of make your schedule, but we'll talk about the cross, and then we'll have communion, and remember that Christ died and was buried for us, and then we're going to celebrate on Sunday. He's not dead, but he's very much alive, okay? So it's a great time of the year. So we're looking in Mark's gospel today, and it just so happens we're in the Passion Week of Christ. Now, if you don't know a lot about the Bible, let me help you with that. The Passion Week is the last week of his life. He enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and he is buried on Friday. He dies on Friday, and he's raised on Sunday morning. Now, I'm not going to argue about, you know, was he three days, three nights? They've got it all worked out several different ways, and I don't think that really matters. But bottom line is, he did die, yes or no? And he was buried, and praise the Lord, he came back to life. Amen. So that's where we're at. And it so happens in your Bibles today, what took place was on a Wednesday, okay? So this is a group of people that are going to come to Jesus and they're going to try to trick Christ. Last week they sent the Pharisees. This week they're going to send the scribes. And the next time we're in Mark's gospel, they'll send, or excuse me, they're going to send the Sadducees. The next time will be the scribes. So they use a three-prong attack trying to trip Jesus up. And the question they're going to ask the Lord today is, what about eternity? Does God raise people from the dead? So I'm going to preach this morning on living in the light of eternity. Two, two buddies, one was Bob, the other was Earl, were great baseball fans. They attended every game that they could. They spent their entire adult life studying baseball. They knew statistics on every hitter and all the teams. And during the winter months, they would analyze every box score they had during the season and they agreed that whenever one of them died, whoever died first, they were going to kind of try to come back and they were going to tell the other one if there was baseball in heaven. Well, one night Bob passes away in his sleep and a few nights later, now this is a joke, just thought I'd tell you, I'm not, I'm not a weirdo here, all right. A few nights later, his buddy Earl wakes up and there's Bob standing at the end of the bed and he's talking to him and he says, Bob, is that you? He says, of course it's me. He said, this is unbelievable. So tell me, is there baseball in heaven? And Earl says, you know, 
I got to know. Bob says, well, I got good news and I got bad news. Yes, there's baseball in heaven. He said, well, what could be the bad news? He says, you're the starting pitcher Friday night. <laughs> That'd get your attention, wouldn't it? Well, did you know that about every culture that's ever existed has possessed some sort of belief in the afterlife? They believe that something happens when you die. There was a 19th century professor at Yale University named James Dwight Doss who summed up the hope of abiding life when he said he didn't believe that a God would create man and then desert him in the grave. I agree with that. Now, I got Bible reasons for what I believe. He just kind of surmised that. But, you know, every culture has some sort of incredible afterlife experience. For example, the Egyptian Book of the Dead is full of tales of life after death. When you look at some of the tombs of the great pharaohs that died as far back as 5,000 years ago, a review of their history, you'll find that they buried them with chariots so they could be carried on in this silver chariot, golden chariot to the other side. If you study, for example, the ancient Greeks, they buried with them a coin and they put that coin in their mouths. That was to pay their fare to cross the river Six, so that they could get across. That was the fare. If you study, for example, the Native Americans, they were buried with their bows and their arrows and their ponies That way they could hunt when they got to the, you've heard it, happy hunting grounds. Well, the mighty Vikings believed in a place called Vahela, which they believed they would fight all day. Their dead would be raised. Their wounded would be healed. Every evening they would feast. They would drink the night away. And then during the day they'd go out and fight. Well, that doesn't sound like heaven to me, does it? Well, we all know that the Muslims look forward to their version of heaven. They believe that they're going to have a sensual, physical pleasure. If you're a good Muslim, you're, Muslim, you're going to have 72 virgins waiting for you. My hope it's 72 angry Virginians, personally, but <laughs> that's just what I think. <laughs> I can't prove that, but I would think it was irony, wouldn't you? I was in Kathmandu, Nepal, some years ago. One night, we went very late. It was about 10.30 at night, and I wanted to go down to the Hindu temple. We went down, and the first thing I noticed was the awful stench in my nostrils. Because right along that holy river, They were burning bodies, and they burned bodies 24 hours a day. They had 10 different places where they burned bodies because the the Hindus believe that when the body is burned like that, there's five elements that go back into that holy water, and those five elements then are recycled. They believe in reincarnation, and depending on your karma... You can either move up the ladder or you can move down the ladder. As we walked out to that holy river and we was there in Kathmandu where everybody in Nepal wants to be buried, 
burned, I watched as the holy man from Hindu, a nasty, long-haired, greasy-looking guy that was just a bit on the repulsive side. As they took huge hunks of butter, by the way, the cow was sacred, butter therefore is sacred, the first thing that the oldest son's job was to do was to prepare that body for burial by putting a big hunk of butter under each arm and one's between the legs and then to open the mouth and to push a big glob of butter into the mouth because butter burns easily. And then his job is to torch the body. And within about 20 minutes... Bodies are completely burned. Now they're burned to ashes and they're brushing off the ashes into the water. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen it. And what I really couldn't believe is that there were little children, six and eight and ten years old, in that chilly water that were diving down to the bottom where the ashes would go and feeling around in the mud for gold teeth. Because they weighed their job, they made their living by gathering up the gold teeth of the dead. In our era, there are some non-Christian cults and religions that have different views of death. But today we're going to be talking from Jesus' standpoint. Jesus has asked that question basically about resurrection. You see, when you look at this passage, and I hope you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 12, would you stand with me in reverence to God's word as we read for a few moments? The Bible says, then came, I'm in verse 18, unto him the Sadducees which say there's no resurrection, and they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die, and he leaves a wife behind him, and they have no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren. The first took a wife and died, leaving no seed. The second took her and died, neither left he any seed. And the third likewise, and seven had her, And all left no seed. Last of all, the woman died. Here's their question. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. Now read with me if you would. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Do you not therefore err, because you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? For when they shall rise from the dead, they shall neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as angels which are in heaven. Thank you. Be seated. He goes on. He says, and as touching the dead, they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses how the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. Therefore, do you greatly 
heir. In this passage, we're going to see three simple things. The first thing is the antagonist. Isn't that a great word? You ever have anybody antagonize you? Oh, I had some brothers that were perfect. They knew where every button was to push. And they were both antagonists at times. Here we're finding a group of people called the scribes. And they come to Jesus, and I love the way they talk. They say, Master. Now you may want to underline that in your Bible. The word means teacher. We would say today maybe rabbi. They said, Master, teacher, rabbi. And, and they're flattering Christ. But, you know, Jesus doesn't have his guard down. He's just dealt with the Pharisees. They came to ensnare him. And so he figures that the scribes are going to do the same. And the Bible says that these men, after they refer to him as master, the Bible says that they write these words, they were Sadducees. Now, there's several things we need to keep in mind about Sadducees. The two major groups in Judaism in Jesus' day were Sadducees and Pharisees. Sadducees ran the temple. The high priest was a Sadducee. Most of the Sanhedrin were Sadducees. And the amazing thing about the Sadducees in the Bible is, is that they all held very high position. Normally they were rich. They were very materialistic. They lived a life of luxury. And if you had to classify them, you'd say they were classic liberals. They really didn't believe the Bible. In fact, you really couldn't even call them good Jews. They were more of deists. They basically believed that God existed, and that was about it. They believed that God created the world, and that's about all they gave them credit for. And if you read the stories of the Sadducees in the Bible, they only believe the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They believe what we call the Torah. They didn't believe the Psalms. They didn't believe the prophets at all. So once you got to Joshua all the way to Malachi, they didn't accept any of those books of the Bible. If Moses didn't write it, they didn't believe it. So they only accepted the first five books of the Bible. Now the amazing thing was, was this. They accepted the fact that God created the world, but they basically did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in judgment. They didn't believe in the afterlife. Matthew chapter 13, or excuse me, Acts chapter 13 says they didn't even believe in the, the angels. How do you like that? Didn't even believe in the angels. So they were very selective in the doctrines of the Bible that they believed. They were like some people that read the Bible and they say, well, you know, the Bible's true where it speaks to me, but the other parts aren't. They're like people that say, well, you know, you get to pick and choose. The Bible may be God's book, but it doesn't mean nothing to me. You see, the Sadducees, they rejected the Bible. And you know, the amazing thing was they were the guys that ran the temple. They were the ones that they were still mad at Jesus because when they came in there and and Jesus saw the den of thieves, and he turned the tables over. They're still mad because Jesus interrupted their bazaar. That's basically what it was. And so they're trying to figure out a way to get rid of Jesus. 
You know, the amazing thing is when the Romans come in in A.D. 70 and they crack down on the Jews and they tear the temple down, the Sadducees ceased to exist. They were done. They were done. You know, the, the Bible, when you start reading the Bible, the Bible is filled with references to resurrection. For example, the Bible says in Psalm 16, verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoice. My flesh shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will they suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and in, in thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Bible says in Psalm 49, 15, but my God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave and he'll receive me. Selah. Think about that. Scripture goes on, Psalm 73, thou shalt guide me with your counsel and afterwards you'll receive me into glory. You see, I could go on and on and on. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. I could take you to Daniel. Listen to Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. It says, And many of them that asleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now notice, every one of those passages I read were not found in the Torah. They weren't found in the first five books. And so the Sadducees said, well, if Moses didn't say it, it ain't true. So they rejected resurrection. They said, when you die, you die like a dog. Their philosophy in life was pretty simple. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die. And when you're dead, that's it. No resurrection, no future rewards. When you die, you die like a dog. So these Sadducees come to Jesus with, to be quite honest with you, one of the most absurd questions I think that's found in the Bible. Look at their absurdity in verse number 19. The Bible says, Master Moses wrote unto us, and they're going to quote back in the book of Deuteronomy, and I hope you'll just hang in there. i got to teach you a little something. In the book of Deuteronomy, there had what they called the Leverite vow. Now, I know we don't say that word. How many, that's the first time you ever heard the word Leverite. It's a Latin word that means brother-in-law. And so the Leverite, uh, the, Moses gave a, pro, uh, a deal there because the people were going to go in and they're going to possess property and possess lands and everything was based on what family what clan you're from what tribe you're in and whole sections of territory are given to this tribe and you got to be of this clan and this family and that's where your land's going to be and what happens if a guy marries and he has the land and he dies and he doesn't have any heirs what's going to happen to his possession and so they asked Moses that, and Moses basically says, hey, bottom line is, we're going to have this Leverite marriage. It means if the guy is married to a woman and they don't have kids, that woman is going to be passed down to the next brother. And then he's going to raise up seed in his stead. 
He basically, as far as they were concerned, was going to have babies that were his brother's babies because that land was going to revert back to them and that land would be in, still in the family, still in the clan. And so uh, Moses basically gave this Leverite marriage deal. Now let me help you with something, all right? Moses was not the first Mormon. That was a joke. You can get it when you go home. So they come to Jesus with this bizarre story. They say, all right, this guy gets married. He dies. His wife's passed down to the second brother. He dies. Seven brothers. Now, isn't that a little bit bizarre? Yes or no? And if you study it out, most scholars, most commentators say that they asked the Pharisees the same questions and the Pharisees were stumped and the Pharisees said, well, of course he'd go to the first one. He wouldn't go to number seven or six or five or four or three or two or one. He'd go to the first one, whatever the, the first guy was. That would be his wife in resurrection. And they said, baloney. There is no resurrection. And so they go to Jesus with this absurdity. And they say, Jesus, what do you say? Well, look at what Jesus says with this ignorant question. Verse 23. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For of the seven had her to wife. Let me make it relevant. Okay? I've been a pastor for a long time, and I've, I've seen a lot of people through a lot of difficult situations. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that some of you have been married before. And some of you have been married before, and before, and before. Now, let's get relevant. Which wife is she going to be? Somebody's saying, I hope it ain't number one, <laughs> or number two, or number three, or if you're Elizabeth Taylor, number eight. <laughs> so they asked Jesus this question, in the resurrection, whose wife's she going to be? Well, look at Jesus' answer. By the way, this is point number three. Look at your watch. That's pretty good, isn't it? Point number three is a long one. Don't get your hopes up. And by the way, I don't have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Just thought I'd let you know. <laughs> Some of you say, well, I do. I'll see you. <laughs> All right. Let's look at Jesus' answer. All right, you ready? Come on. Let's look at Jesus' answer. Let's see what he does. This is pretty cool. And when they shall rise from the dead, neither shall, uh, Jesus says, verse 24, he answers them, do you not therefore err? By the way, the word err, there's an interesting word. The Greek word is plano. We get our word planet. And it's the idea of a planet. You know how a planet, the moon goes around the earth? How many know that? I'm not making this up. That's in science, right? And the earth goes around the sun? Yes or no? And it's, the planets have orbits, is that correct? And he's basically talking, and the idea of the Greek word is, he says, you're, he doesn't say, you're off your planet. That's not what he's saying. He says, you're off your orbit. He said, your, your, your planet's wandering. That's the idea. Your planet is wandering. Notice what he says. He says, because you know not the scriptures 
And he says, you don't know the power of God. So he gives them two reasons here, uh, two incredibly simple truths that kind of clear up this whole mess. Now, notice, notice what he says. First of all, he says, you guys don't know the word of God. You don't know the word of God. Even though these Sadducees were the high priest, even though these Sadducees ran the temple, he said, you don't know the Bible. In fact, to be quite honest with you, they didn't even understand the parts of the Bible they accepted. They didn't even truly understand the first five books. And then he says, not only do you not know the word of God, he said, you don't know the wonders of God. Look at what he says. While they believed God created the world, they didn't believe that God had the power to raise the dead. And Jesus looks at him and he says, fellas, you don't know the scriptures, nor do you understand the power of God. For when they shall raise from the dead. Now notice, he doesn't say if. He says it's going to be a when. When they shall be raised from the dead. Now, I don't know where these bird heads were. But if I'm not mistaken, Jesus raised three different people from the dead during his lifetime. The widow of Nain's son, yes or no? The little girl named Tabitha and a guy named Lazarus. He raised them. You know what? Jesus never went to a funeral that he didn't mess up. Every time he went to a funeral, the corpse came back to life. That's pretty cool, isn't it? By the way, I hope Jesus comes to my funeral. You know the words I hope they say when they walk by the corpse? I don't want him to say, boy, doesn't he look natural. I want him to say, man, I think he just moved. Yeah, he's scratching his head. That's what I want to hear him say. And the Bible says, for when they shall rise from the dead, they'll neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but are as angels which are in heaven. Now, if you look at this passage right here, the amazing thing about this passage is Jesus begins to clarify some things. And the one thing that he says is this. Now, get this. And by the way, how many recognize that I'm just the messenger? I didn't write any of the Bible. Signed Phil is nowhere in there. Right? First thing he says is marriage is an earthly institution. When you get to heaven, now I know some of you are going to be heartbroken. Some of you inside are leaping and jumping and praising God. <laughs> I couldn't help that. that. I just couldn't help. Sorry about that. I got carried away. That was a Martin moment. Sorry about that. But anyways, <laughs> when you get to heaven, you're not going to be married. You say, Pastor, what wife will I be married to? The first one, the second one, or the third one? None of them. By the way, they wouldn't have you either. <laughs> Come on, smile at me. Some of you take this way too personal. You see, marriage is an earthly institution. You know, the reason that God gave us marriage on earth is the Bible says for companionship. The Bible says 
for procreation, having babies. The Bible says it's for intimacy. Now, let me help you with something. When we get to heaven, we're going to be in the presence of Christ. Do you think that our minds will even gravitate towards intimacy other than with Jesus? No. You think that, like, people sometimes erroneously think that there's an angel factory in the sky and that the factory's cranking out angels all the time. No, angels are all created at one time, and that's all they was ever been created, and that's all that's ever going to be created. He said, you guys are going to be like angels. And when you study angels in the Bible, angels are always in the masculine sense. They're in the masculine neuter, but they're not procreating. He says, when you get to heaven, there's going to be no such thing as marriage. You're not going to get married. You're not going to be married to the one you're married to on earth. Your life is going to be more like an angel. That's his point. But he also basically tells us, he says, life's going to be a lot different. You know, I've called my wife an angel before. Now, I can truthfully say she's never called me one. In fact, it's the other direction. <laughs> but when I get to heaven, listen to me. The Bible says that I'm going to be like the angels. I'll worship wholeheartedly. I'll obey completely. I'll have a, a, an existence that kind of transcends anything I've ever had on this earth. Uh, you know, Warren Wiersbe says it this way. Resurrection is not the restoration of life as we know it. It's the entrance into a life that's different. Heaven will be completely different dimension from the life we know now. Weddings will not be performed because we'll be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll be constantly remembering our spouse and every other relationship, but it will pale in comparison to the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Great words. And you say, Pastor, what do we know for sure about heaven? Well, I know there'll be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. Here, here's what else I know. I know I'll be given a new body and a new mind. I also know I'll be reunited with other believers that have died and gone on before me. One of the things I love about that passage in John chapter 3, and I always love to say this at a, at a funeral, in my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I knew where my grandparents' house was. We turned around that little bend there and drive down that old country gravel road. And then I'd see that big two-story house, and I'd say, wow, that's Grandma and Grandpa's house. And Mama had her house till she died. 5510 Bonnie Bray, Montclair, California. I remember most 
about Mama's house was eating. We had some good times to eat there. You know, one of the things that's going to be great about heaven, won't it be fun to sit down with our relatives and see Mama and Dad, Grandma, Grandpa. You see, heaven's going to be a family reunion. You say, Pastor, how do you believe that in the Bible? You mean you actually act like you're going to know who they are? Well, I could go back to Mark chapter 9 and show you the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus knew exactly who Moses and Elijah was. And by the way, Peter, James, and John knew who they was, and they'd never been introduced. Isn't that neat? You say, Pastor, what do we know about heaven? I know this, I'll be with Jesus forever. The Bible says to be absent from the body, listen to this, is to be present with the Lord. Won't that be great? You see, Jesus begins to help these guys. Look what he says here in verse number 26. And as touching the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses? Now, class, help me. What five books did they believe? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What five books did Moses write? Genesis, Exodus. How many are getting what he's doing? He's fixing to quote them a passage that they wouldn't accept. And so he goes to Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 3 and through 6. And he basically tells the story of Moses out walking along chasing some sheep. And he comes on this place with a burning bush. And he said, man, I'm going to turn aside to see a bush that burns and doesn't get consumed. And he gets close and that Voice from the bush says, Moses, take your shoes off. You're walking on holy ground. How many remember that? If you look at the passage, let's go a little bit further. Look at verse number six. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father. Now, I am. I am. Man, that's the seven I am's in John One of the great things, you remember when they come to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas plants the the kiss of betrayal on the Lord and he calls out, he says, "Uh, which one of you is Jesus? Remember the story? And Jesus steps forward and Jesus says, I am. And when he says that, 300 soldiers fall to the ground, are knocked to the ground just by Jesus saying, I am. By the way, if you read this in the original language, it says it like this. It says, I am the God of thy father. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Four times in this passage, he says, I am. Now, let me tell you something about Jesus when it comes to believing the Bible. Jesus' whole point is based on the tense of a verb. He says, Not I was, now they're dead. He says, I am. Why? Because they're alive. How many are getting what I just tried to teach you right there? Jesus has got such a high view of Scripture, he uses one-tenth of the verb. I am. Man, is that totally cool or what? 
Come on. Come on, at least a Baptist can grunt. <laughs> Can't get an amen, at least I get a grunt. So Jesus says to him, he says, I am the God of Moses and the bush that's speaking of. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead. What's he saying? He's the God of the living. Next Sunday when you come to church, we're not going to go out and look at a cross with some figurine of Christ hanging on the cross. No, folks, listen to me. He is not here. He is alive, as he said. Man, I want to tell you something. We serve a God of the living, not a God of the dead. You say, Pastor, what happened to my mama? If she knew Jesus Christ as her Savior, he's the God of the living. What happened to my husband that I now become a widow? If he knew Christ as his Savior, he's serving a living God alive forevermore. Man, we serve a living God. God of the living, not a God of the dead. Let me wrap it up. You ready? Two questions. Jesus asked these guys two questions. He said, number one, you err in not knowing the scripture. How about you? You know, when I get to heaven, I hope the Lord won't look at me and say, you know, Pastor, you could have done a little better job learning my word. It's a shame you didn't think the Bible was important enough to read it. You didn't think it was smart enough to study it or to memorize it or to meditate upon it. How well do you know the scriptures? You know, the average Baptist today can't name six out of ten commandments. Some of you are going. (laughs) You know, there's some people that say that they're Christians and followers of Jesus Christ that are hard-pressed to name the four Gospels? You say, Pastor, why is it that some people have such a troubled time? Why is it some people struggle so much in their Christian life? They err in the fact that they don't know the Scriptures. You know, I can't imagine, honestly, I can't imagine somebody that doesn't want to know God's Word that's saved. I can't imagine somebody that doesn't want to know more about the Bible this year than they knew last year, this month than they knew last month, this week that they knew last week. And folks, listen to me. You go to a church that makes it available for you to learn the Word of God. We had 930 Bible study. I hope you came. I can't imagine a Christian that so busy they can't come to Bible study. Amen. What's more important? Amen. Amen. 
You know, when I get to heaven, I don't want the Lord to look at me and say, boy, Phil, it's a shame you didn't study my word. It's a shame you didn't get to know it. Amen, Pastor. We're glad we came today. Got there real close, didn't I? This church, by the way, if you want it, we have a Bible schedule reading that we'd be happy to give you. We're back here at the guest services and at the church member services. All you got to go by is say, hey, I want to get that Bible reading schedule. You can read through the Bible every year. We've got a schedule just for you. You say, Pastor, I really want to grow deep in my, in my walk with the Lord. Hey, did you know we have discipleship groups that meet here on Wednesday night? That it's strict Bible study in small groups? You can if you want to. I know this will be a revelation for some, but we're actually going to have church tonight at 6 o'clock. Come back tonight, I'm going to preach on this subject. Now listen to me. What happens when a baby dies? Boy, that's a relevant question, isn't it? Jesus says, you err in the fact you don't know the scriptures. Listen to this. He says, you err in the fact you don't know the wonder of God. You ever think about that? You know, a Christian should be the best testimony for the Lord they could possibly be. And when people look at you, they ought to be able to see God doing something in your life. You see, when you really get to know the Bible and you begin to ingest God's word and when you really get to start learning God's word, I want to promise you this. The Bible is given to us for transformation. Scripture is given to us to change us. And you know, when the Bible really gets a hold of you and the Bible begins to really work in your life, people begin to see God doing stuff in your life. And they say, man, what's changed in you? What's different about you? You're not the same person you used to be. I don't know, man. All I, just, I just started reading this book, and this book is changing me from the inside out. You know, when I get to heaven, I want the Lord to say to me, you know, Phil, you did your best to learn the book. And the Bible began to make you and transform you and make you into more like me. I don't think there'd be a better compliment to get when you get to heaven. Would you agree? How many could say amen to that? Yeah. You know, I was reading just as you have been reading, and with this I'll close. I was reading this week about a guy, and his name was Taylor Benge. He was in Las Vegas and he went to that concert. You know the one in that parking lot where the guy broke the window out and began to just indiscriminately shoot people? He was on CNN. And he said, when I went to that concert, he said, I was a 
agnostic. He said, I'll be honest with you. He said, I didn't believe there was a God. But he said that night when those bullets were flying, he said, I prayed to a God that I hadn't believed in until right then. And I asked that God, I said, dear God, in prayer, he said, please help me. Help me to live. Help me not to be shot. And he said, for some reason, he said, God spared my life. And he said, I'll be honest with you. I am a firm believer in God now. You know, folks, if we're going to live in light of eternity... We need to come to grips with, we need to live like we're dying. We are. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you live forever. Because he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we